You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. We're going to look at three particular places in Scripture today and look at the parallels. Now I know what you're thinking. Wow, the preacher's getting the pulpit early. Well, it's okay. I got a long message today. So don't worry about that. We've got enough to keep the time covered. Very quickly, though, I want to share with you just by way of introduction to let you know what we're going to be looking at. And then we'll kind of fill in the details later. The word covenant means an agreement. It means a contract, a guarantee. And in a covenant, there are always two parties. If you have a real estate covenant, you have a buyer and a seller, for instance. In the Word of God, when the covenant is made, it is between God and a group of people. In the Old Testament, almost without exception, it was messianic. That is, it was for the Jewish people. It was for the Israelites. And in the New Testament, by and large, it is for the church, birthed at Pentecost by the divine hand of Almighty God. So this morning, we're going to look at some of these covenants. And you say, well, isn't it getting toward Christmas? I thought maybe you'd preach a Christmas message. Friend, without the covenants we're talking about this morning, there would be no Christmas, and there certainly wouldn't be no church for us to gather in this morning. So it's pointing us to that. Covenant in spite of confidence. Number one, we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Abrahamic covenant was between God and Abram and then specifically also God and his chosen people, the nation of Israel. Within that Abrahamic covenant, you're going to see that it is twofold. Number one, there was the promise of land. We call it and, and then secondly, the promise of a son whose name would be Isaac. Then we're going to look over in the book of Matthew and look at the covenant that God made with his church. When the Lord Jesus Christ looked at Peter and said, Peter, upon the rock, that is the bedrock of the gospel of Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want us to begin thinking this morning, not only these Old Testament truths, but also how they are applied to the New Testament days. Have you ever wondered, why do we have a church? Why do we get up on Sunday morning and put on our best and gather together? This morning as we drove across the county, we passed many churches. Churches made up of many different people and they're gathering together. Friend, I'm here to tell you that many churches honestly have no idea why they exist. So called up in traditions and rituals. The fact of the matter is, we are to be a Bible church, a kingdom-focused church, a church that is taking God and His Word, claiming the covenant found in Matthew 16, 18, that He would build His church and that everything we do laying on that right foundation. I'm grateful that I've had a, a few friends through my whole life. And one of my oldest and dearest friends, he and I grew up on parallel paths. And along the way, God led me to a small town, him to a big town. We've been in our churches about the same length of time. He's got about 15,000 members. I don't have quite that many, but we're still good friends. And I want him to remind us this morning what it is that the church is all about. What we see is that the church, God formed the church for the purpose of um, dimension. 
He doesn't have a, a mission to a church as much as he's wanting a church to his mission. And a, 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 a church that is not reaching people on the outside is a church that really hasn't formed a Christian. It's just a, a bunch of disobedient Christians hanging out. And um, I would ask him, say, what do we care more about? Is it our traditions or is it the salvation of people? Uh, you know, um, my church is a beautiful blend of the, you know, the, the 19th, 20th, 19th and 20th centuries. And you know, if the 1950s ever come back, we're going to be ready. Um, you know, I've told our congregation before, it's sad, but it seems like a lot of churches, a lot of us, care more about preserving our traditions than we do the salvation of our grandchildren. Um, are we going to, to, to do for others what Jesus did for us, which he let go of his preferences, he let go of what was comfortable so that he could engage the lost? Are we going to prioritize the gospel above everything? Two core principles that we know are solid from the Bible. Um, um, are we going to do whatever it takes to reach lost people? And then number two, are we going to follow the Holy Spirit wherever he leads? And if the answer to both those is yes, we're going to bring exciting, exciting showings. If not, you need to write paper bottom in your doors because you have no point in existing anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the purpose of the church. And Lord, through this simple message this morning, I pray that you'd make it clear, Lord, what we're to be all about. God, that we're simply to take you at your word and even be excited about all that you have in store for us. Lord, as we look at these Old Testament covenants and then the covenant with your church, God, that you would speak to us words of truth that would impact our hearts and our lives like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 15. And God is having a conversation here with Abram. Number one, I want you to see that he promises him a land. Verse number 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the Euphrates. Literally, God spoke to Abram and said, I am going to give you a land. A land that you will not toll for, a land that you will have to earn, a land that you will simply be given. It will be the promised land, Canaan. What a great promise. There was a covenant between God and Abram. God and his people, the nation of Israel, for a land. Number two, there would be the promise of a son. Same text, beginning in verse number five. Abraham, Abram and God have been having a conversation and basically Abram said to God, God, I'm useless to you. God, there is no future. God, I have no offspring. God, there are no generations ahead of me. God, my best days are behind me. God, there's nothing before me. Friend, can I tell you, there are many churches out there today across the landscape of America who would agree with Abram who would say our best days are behind us. There's nothing before us. We will be our last generation. And the verse number 6, So God brought him forth and said, Look now toward heaven, and look at the stars. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He took Abram out on a starry night. And Abram looked out and God said, count the stars. And Abram started counting one, two, three, four, five. He said, God, I can't count them. There's just too many. And God said, you may think of yourself as being barren, but the fact of the matter is that your seed will outnumber these stars. What a thought! The promise of a seed. The promise of a son. Notice in verse number 6. And Abram believed in the Lord, and God counted it unto him for righteousness. What an amazing thought. Then we fast forward all the way over to Matthew 16. Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Peter... Who do people say that I am? Maybe Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. I'm not sure. And Jesus said, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? All oh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended Peter, and he said, you only know that because the Spirit of God has given you that indication, has let you know that it is the truth. 
And then Jesus says these profound words, Peter, you're a pebble. Peter, you're a pebble. But upon the rock, the Petra, the bedrock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There was no guarantee that the gates of hell wouldn't come against it, wouldn't throw everything they had against it, but the church would always prevail. You see, there's an Abrahamic covenant and with some eerie similarities to the church age covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, there was the promise of land. There was the promise of a son. In the church age covenant, Jesus puts it back on us. And he says, you must build on the right foundation. Friend, if we're not careful, we will build a church on pebbles. Pebbles, that's you and me. Those are the people that make up the church. Peter had an indication from time to time that maybe he was a little bit special, that he was a little bit more important. And Jesus made it very clear, you're not the rock. Now let me just tell you, there's an entire religion built upon the thought that Peter was the first pope and that, the, and that Peter was the one that Jesus would build the church upon. Nothing could be more contrary to Scripture. Fact is, he was letting Peter know right then, Peter, I love you, but you're not all that. Listen, every once in a while, I'll get a little proud of myself. I've got to admit, I've been watching the video of me preaching up in Greensboro, and I, mainly for the music, but every once in a while, I might think of myself a little more often than I ought to. And Jesus would say to me, you're not everything that you think you are. You're nothing but a pebble. Beloved, every person sitting in this room and the one standing, we are temporary vessels. We are stewards of God's church how important it is that we remember we're just a pebble, but it is on the foundation of the gospel that everything must be built. All of our programs, all of our activities, all of our events, all of our music, everything we do must be not only gospel-focused, but gospel-centered, built upon the gospel, built upon the truth that Jesus Christ came to live, die, be raised from the grave, ascend to heaven with the promise to return. All of that is absolutely essential as we see God build his church. I like this part in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. Here's the thing. I could build a following. I could build a company. I could build a fellowship. I could build all kinds of things, but only Jesus can build the church. How do we know the difference in a church and just a group of people that get together, as J.D. said, and hang out? The fact of the matter is that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So how important in this postmodern era that we're we're making sure everything we do as a church is built on the right foundation. But there's also not only the right foundation, there's got to be the right focus. Daily we must be focusing on the primary, not getting caught up on the peripheral. Understanding that Jesus Christ had a purpose in birthing church and it was so that we might be his witnesses so that we might be his disciples so that we might be his hands and his arms and his feet yes his body and that is the church age covenant let me give you three things this morning and I hope that it'll, it'll touch you, it'll encourage you, it'll open our eyes and our hearts as we look forward to the future. You know, a new year will be upon us soon. And how important that we take God at His word and that we allow God to fulfill the promises of this covenant in Matthew 16, 18. To help us prepare for that, to help us understand that, have a clearer vision of what God is doing, I want us to begin by looking back in the book of Genesis. Three things we're going to look at this morning. Number one, the promise. Number two, the promise. Number three, the provision. Will you say that with me? Number one, the promise. 
Number two, the problem. Number three, the provision. Number one, there's a promise. Look with me, Genesis chapter 15. We've already said this, but we're just going to remind you very quickly. G, or, or Abram is meeting with God and God says, I'm going to give you a land. The book of Deuteronomy calls it a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it will be a, a better land I will give you than anything you could get for yourself. I've got a plan that is better than yours. I've got a place that is better than yours. I've got a purpose that is better than yours. There's a promise of land. Now that's so very important. Understand today, beloved, even some, uh, even all of these centuries later, understanding that the nation of Israel is still struggling and still striving to have that land. How important to understand it was a gift that God was giving them. What an amazing thought. So number one, the promise was specifically the promised land, the land of Canaan. So many gospel songs have been written about Canaan. And sometimes we talk about Canaan land is just in sight. Friend, I want to tell you, Canaan land is not heaven. Canaan land was the promised land that God had given His people. Now that's a little bit confusing. But the second promise becomes very, very easy, much easier to understand. Here's the deal. Abram is about 85 years old. Sarai is about 75 years old. And God speaks to them and says, I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you that which you cannot get for yourself. And listen, I don't know about you, but at 85 and 75, I don't know if they really wanted to start a family. Can I get a witness? Anybody 85 here today that's thinking, you know what, I think it's about time to start a family. The fact of the matter is, God had a tremendous purpose. Now think about this. Abraham thought there was nothing ahead of him. Abram thought when he died they'd lay him in a grave and that would be it. There'd be no more little Abrams running around. There'd be no more future. Friend, can I tell you, your salvation and my salvation is dependent upon God keeping his word in this particular covenant because we understand that from this seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of one who would come whose name was Jesus Christ. Christ, how important that this promise be fulfilled. By the way, we understand point one, we're looking at a promise. God always keeps His promise. There's never been a promise of Scripture that He didn't keep. There's never been a promise that He made that He didn't intend to keep. Oh, friend, how important. God knows the end from the beginning. He knew all about what lied ahead. And so when He said, I'm going to give you a son, He meant it. The promise was a promise of land. The promise was a promise of a son. I'm covering it quickly. There's so much there I'd like to dig in a little deeper, but for time's sake we just can't. Number three, the promise was, Matthew 16, to build my church. To build my church. If I were to ask you today, and some of you have been here since 1950 or so, only a few, but if I were to ask you who built this church, you would tell me a story that I've heard many times, and it is a beautiful picture of people that would gather through the week, and they would work in this building and some would bring materials and go to the sawmills and cut the lumber. I've been under this church building and you can see the old hand-hewn beams from the sawmill that built this church. I, some of you here today have family members that helped lay the block and the brick for this church and, and, and literally came and would labor and toil and sweat and, and work here to build this beautiful church. But at the end of the day, you and I can build a building, but only the Lord Jesus Christ can truly build His church. It is a continuous 
continuous theme all throughout the New Testament. Think about when Jesus met with his disciples and he's getting ready to go to heaven. And he said, guys, the Holy Spirit's going to soon come and invade this place. And when he does, you are going to do greater things and all those who would come after you. The Holy Spirit would birth Pentecost, greater things would begin. And for 2,000 years, the church has been doing greater things. That's the covenant. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 that if we'll simply have a vision... If we'll simply dream a dream that Jesus himself will accomplish exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever imagine or hope for or dream. What a thought, the covenant that Christ made with his church. He said, I'm going to come and be born of the virgin. I'm going to live a sinless and spotless life. I'm going to die an atoning death. I'm going to rise from the grave victorious. I'm going to ascend to heaven. All of this so that I might throw myself through the Holy Spirit into the midst of the church and all that and all that my father would have would be accomplished through the power of the Holy Ghost what an amazing thought this covenant that's been made with us broken people separated people lost people and yet he loved us enough to redeem us and set us apart and then covenant us to build a church upon what a thought what a thought there's the promise over and over again God says I will I will I will But I'm sad to tell you there's also a problem. I want you to hear this. In all three of these cases, if God's people would have simply taken him at his word, they could have saved themselves a lot of heartache, a lot of headaches, a lot of stress, a lot of strife, and a lot of missed opportunities. The fact of the matter was, though, problems entered in from the very beginning. Doubt, fear, lack of faith. People that began counting the costs of doing ministry rather than counting the cost of not doing ministry. Number one, when it came to the promise of land, God would speak. He would guarantee the land to Abram. And then he would establish his covenant through Moses. Don't miss this part. God would call Moses and say, you are to lead my people. You will lead my people through a process out of bondage, into the promised land. Moses, I have a great purpose for you. And God himself established the first committee in the Bible. You say, well, I don't like committees. Committees, nothing wrong with that. God established a committee of 12. Here's what God said. Moses, you do this. You choose 12 people, one from every tribe of the nation of Israel. And you gather them together. And you go into the promised land. Remember the word covenant? The guaranteed land. The agreed upon land. The covenanted land. You go on in your land. Because it's yours. I gave it to you. You take those 12 spies. And you look around and you strategize. Strategizing is good, y'all. Right? If I were to tell you we're going to have a meal today at 3 o'clock. We better do some strategizing how to feed all these people. If I tell you we're going to start a new ministry, we better strategize how to start that new ministry, whatever it is. So strategizing, there's nothing wrong with that. So for 40 days, the spies spied. I want you to think about this for a minute. Paul, this is really cool. Day one. Day one in the promised land. The 12 spies walk in and they're looking around and they're going, Wow! Wow! Look at this place. It's just like he said. 
It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I've never seen grass this green. I've never seen crops this tall. I've never seen land this fertile. This is an amazing place. Wow! Day two. They looked around and they said, wow. Look at these giants of opposition. Look at these adversaries. Look at these things that are in our way. Wow! Isn't it amazing? No matter how good God's stuff is, when an obstacle comes before us, it's as if we can't even see the blessings of God anymore. When things are challenging and things are difficult, and, and beloved, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes preaching to the choir, you know this, but I, I talk to pastors all the time and they go from, wow, God is so good and God is blessing and all of the opportunities to all of a sudden an adversary comes or the challenges come or the discouragement comes and then they're like, wow, this is so hard. Wow, this weight is so heavy. The stuff of God has always got to be primary. The stuff of God has always got to be so big that God's stuff overshadows our adversaries. Think about this. David stood on a hillside looking over another hillside with a great valley in between. And all of Saul's army, including Saul, all they could see was Goliath. But not David. All David could see was God. How important that we keep our eyes on the covenant and the promise and the stuff of God and not all of the obstacles in our way. Here's the deal. Everything in life that's worth doing is going to be difficult. If you want to learn to play an instrument or a sport, if you want to go to college or, or learn a, a trade or whatever it might be, there are going to be challenges and it's going to be hard. Sometimes in the church we assume everything's going to be easy. I met with a young pastor Friday and he's getting ready to graduate with his PhD and, but, but he's never really served in a church and we were talking a little bit and, and, and I was just thinking, wow, you know, I, I pray they prepared him. You know, years ago, I... Uh, might be a plain story, but I'll tell it anyway. Years ago, I had a young lady come to me. She said, I want to be a mortician. Said, it's all I've talked about for four years of high school. My parents are excited. They're going to send me to mortuary school. Yeah, there's a mortuary school. And uh, she said, I'm so excited. I can't wait. But the more I talked to this young lady, I thought, I'm not sure she's really cut out for this. I said, hey, how about meeting me at the, at the funeral home sometime? I'll take you in and show you around. She said, oh, it'd be great. So excited. So I met her at the funeral. I took her in the office. She said, this is great. Computers and printers and copiers and little bulletin boards and file cabinets. I can handle this. And I took her into the, in, into the room where, where, where you plan out the funeral. If you've been in the room at Bladen Gaskins, they have all these little bitty caskets. People say, hey, there's one for the preacher. It's not what it's all about. And she said, this is, this is great. This is cool. I can handle this. And I took her into the visitation room. Again, this is great. This is cool. I can handle this. I took her into you know, the different places. And I said, hey, let's go in the back. And I punched in the coat on the door and I opened the door. She took two steps in. She says, oh, she says, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. This is not for me. Brother Leon, this is not for me. She hightailed it out. I don't even think she, I, she just went right on out. Got in her car and left. Here's the deal, y'all. We might have this idea that ministry is all about dressing up and coming and meeting. Ministry is all about hanging out and going on trips. Ministry is all about getting together and singing songs and telling stories and loving on one another. Here's the thing. There are going to be some things in the back room. And they're going to stink. And they're going to be rough. And they're going to be hard. But you've got to get through it because God's made a covenant. There's something He's doing. It's worth it. 
these spies, all they could do was see the obstacles. Dublin, we got some obstacles ahead of us, so we got to get through. Some of those obstacles we need to navigate through, some of them we need to plow through, kind of like when you're out plowing in a field. I don't do that often, but I've seen it done, especially in Moldova where they still use the oxen and, and the donkeys, and they've got them old plows, and man's out there, and he's doing his best, and sometimes he'll come to a rock or he'll come to a root in the ground. He's got a choice. He can go around it, over it, or try to go through it. We've got to sometimes go through some things, but it's worth it all because there's a promise we're pursuing. So the 12 spies came back after 40 days. Two of them were so excited. They couldn't wait to tell Moses and all the rest. You've got to see this land. You just wouldn't believe it. I mean, it is a land flowing with milk and honey just like God said. The trees are taller. The grass is greener. The crops are bigger. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. But not the other 10. The other 10 were shaking their head. We're like ants. And they're like grasshoppers. Stop there for a minute. Wake up your neighbor if he fell asleep. The enemy is the enemy is the enemy. And he hadn't changed in all of these years. He loves to exaggerate. You know? He loves to exaggerate. Like the teenager that found a teeny tiny little pimple on his chin. And he runs in and says, Mama, I can't go to school this week. My face is one big zit. The enemy calls those spies to exaggerate. We're like little bitty grasshoppers. And they're like giants. We don't stand a chance. So then they called for the vote. And the vote was ten to two. Ten that said no. Now listen, the ten that voted no, they didn't argue about the land. They didn't, they didn't quarrel about the fact that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't quarrel about the fact that they did believe God had led them. They didn't quarrel about all of the details of the land. But when they took their vote, they allowed doubt and fear and the lack of faith to control their vote. So the first committee in the Bible brought back the vote 10 to 2. For 40 years, the nation of Israel would miss the blessing of God. An entire generation, an entire generation would pass away. Ten spies would die. Moses would die. Taken to heaven, killed before his time for his lack of faith and obedience. Only Joshua and Caleb and the children and the descendants of those original generations would ever step foot into the promised land. Now they would see the promised land. Can you imagine when they would look off into the distance? See it? Thinking that could have been ours. Please don't miss this part, y'all. Please don't miss this part. There's so many connections here. I love the Word of God. How it just opens up in Fiji and is alive. There are so many churches today that came to a point where they had to make a decision. They had a committee, you know. And they chose not to be obedient. They chose not to go as God was leading them. They chose not to, to follow God. And now many of them are looking back. Many of them are looking at other churches and saying, why didn't we? If only we could go back. 
If only we could make a different decision. How important it is, week to week, month to month, year to year, that the family of God make decisions based on the covenant of God and not, not allow our fears. I, I, am, I am a person that's high anxiety. Did y'all know that? My wife's one of the most positive people I've ever met, and I'm one of the most negative. Praise God I got her, right? Everything we've ever done in ministry, I've counted the cost before I was faithful. And I've been raw. God's been gracious. God's been gracious. There was the problem when it came to the land. Number two, moving quickly, there was the problem when it came to the promise of a son. Twofold, here we go. Got a lot I'm giving you. Drinking from the, from, from the fire hose. But listen, don't miss it. God promised them a son. What was their first reaction? They laughed. They laughed. Have you ever laughed in the face of God? I don't think they were intentionally being disrespectful. I just think it was such a foreign idea. Such a wild, outlandish idea. Their natural reaction was to laugh. I've probably brought some things before you over the years that y'all just laughed thought, is he crazy? God's brought some things before me before, and I thought, is he crazy? I've shared this with some of you, but I'll tell you, after we birthed the Lake Church in 2014, about a year into it, I, when I can, I ride my bicycle around the lake, and I pray. It's a good ride, about 10 miles the way I ride, and it's good for my health and good for my soul. And I would ride and I would pass by this for sale sign in this camp that was in disrepair. And I would feel so burdened that this was something that could play a part in kingdom work here in Bladen County. And it got to the point that I would look the other way just so I didn't have to look at it because I knew that I had far more on my plate than I needed something else. And finally I came to the point that I said, God, I've counted all the costs. And God, I have no idea how you're going to provide, how you're going to do this. And God, I know it's going to take a volatile situation at Dublin, probably make it worse. But God, I have no choice. If I'm going to live above ground, I have no choice but to be obedient and follow you. You see, I'm not smart enough to come up with these things. I wasn't smart enough to plant a church 17 miles away. I wasn't smart enough to buy a three-acre piece of property. I wasn't smart enough to, to, to partner with churches all over the globe. I wasn't smart enough. I believe we're being obedient to God. When they heard from God, they laughed. Verse 17, chapter 17, they laughed. So that was their initial reaction. Disbelief. No faith. God, you're crazy. God, not us. I go preach in churches sometimes. I was in a church a few weeks ago in a small town. Um, I say small town, they've got about 2,500 people. And, and I began talking to them about their future. I said, I believe the best days of this church could be ahead of you. I believe God could use you to radically impact this community. And, and on and on. And you could see the older folks in their eyes looking at me like, I just don't think it's possible. Abram's eyes were old and weary. Sarah's eyes... Stained from her tears through the years, begging God for something, and now she thought it was too late. They laughed at God. Number two, they took things into their own hands. As a pastor, I have to be careful to be patient and wait on God. Did you know that? We can't do things in our own timing. So, so, so what happened? It's kind of plain, but here it is. Sarah had a handmaid, and her name was Hagar. Sarah went to Hagar and said, Listen, I can't give my husband a son and he needs a son he wants a son we got to deal with God we're gonna get a son but we got to do it our way 
We've got to manipulate the circumstances and we've got to make this happen. So she took Hagar and she gave Hagar to her husband, Abram. They came together. Hagar would have a son. They would name him Ishmael. For time's sake, I cannot begin to get into the depths of how significant this decision was. When you go with me to New York, and we walk across the Brooklyn Bridge and I stand there with tears in my eyes and I point to you where the Twin Towers once stood right before 9-11. Those buildings had Ishmael written all over them. Almost every day when we turn on the news and we see of a suicide bombing, we see of all of the evils of Islamic terrorism. Even my speaking this and being recorded and putting on our website would literally put me on a hit list that I would be killed based on the tenets of their religion. All of that goes back to this decision of Hagar, Sarai, Abram, and Ishmael. They took things into their own hands. Friends, we can't do that. We can't make things happen. We can't manipulate the circumstances or the situations and play God. We must simply be obedient to God. So Ishmael was born. Thirteen years heartache and misery. Sarah thought she would be okay with this thing between Hagar and Abram, but the moment Hagar conceived, hatred was birthed into her heart. And every day, Sarah would look at her husband with disdain. She was a broken woman. She was a hurting woman. She was a woman in absolute agony because of her mistake. Beloved, as a church, how important it is that we don't take things in our own hands. How many churches today have taken things into their own hands and are looking back with bitterness and hurt and anger. Thirteen years later, God still kept His promise. Let me close in just a moment. The problem with the land was the twelve spies and their unfaithfulness and their fear causing them to spend forty years in the wilderness. The problem with the sun was disbelief and doubt, laughter, and then taking things into their own hands. But then you come to the problem of the church. Matthew 16, or 16, 18 says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Bible says you'll do greater things. The Bible says you'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. So, so what's the problem? There should be no problem. Every church in America should be growing. Our baptistry should be full from week to week because we're baptizing so many people because of the promises of God. God made a covenant. What's the problem? 90% of churches in America are declining or plateaued. The vast majority of churches, even in Bladen County, unless something changes, have a life expectancy of 20 years or less. So what's the problem? We could be here all day pointing out things, but let me give you two examples based on the authority of God's Word. Number one, the word Nazareth. The word Nazareth. You say, I know it. That's where Jesus was from. That was Jesus' hometown. But it was more than that. The Bible said that no mighty works were accomplished in Nazareth. Do you know why? Because of the unbelief of the people. Sometimes people will say, well, it's because Jesus was from there. And they saw Jesus as a boy. And that ain't got nothing to do with it. The Bible says there was no faith in Nazareth. They just simply lacked faith and lacked belief. It breaks my heart when I travel and I go into churches and I see that. There's nothing anymore. It's Sunday morning, so we go to church and we check off the box. 
We've served our time. We've we've punched our, our clock. We've done what God expected us to do. But there's no victory. There's no vision. There's no vigilance. There's no passion. So it's the Nazareth church. But there's another church. And it is the Ichabod church. Dublin First Baptist, if you've heard anything this morning, please hear me out on this. The word Ichabod means the glory has departed. For 17 years and a little bit, almost regularly people will say things to me like, well, what happens if you leave? Someone recently said to me, preacher, I think people come to church every Sunday wondering, is this the Sunday that you're going to leave? Friend, there will come a Sunday that I will leave. It may be through a transfer to another church or a transfer to my heavenly home, but I will leave, I promise you. What we need to be more concerned about is the prospect that the sweet presence and power and victory of the Lord would ever leave. Ichabod, the glory has departed. Let me give you this real simple illustration. If you drive from here maybe to the beach or maybe up to Raleigh and you go through some towns, you're going to see things like this. You're going to go into a town... And you're going to say, I recognize that. That's the old Lowe's building. I recognize that. That's the old Pizza Hut building. I recognize that. That's the old Wendy's building. Because every community has them. Friend, in every one of those communities, almost without exception, you can drive down and you can see a church sitting off somewhere. And it's big. And and it's just a, a large facility. And you drive up and you look and the parking lots are now overrun with grass and weeds. And the sign hasn't been changed in six months. And they're cobwebs in the window and you can't help but look and say that's where the glory of the Lord once was that's where the power of of, of the highest was once at work that's where God was once blessing that's where things were really jumping I wonder what happened friend I'll tell you what happened Ichabod happened the glory of the Lord has departed Maybe it's because we've come together and begun counting the cost of doing ministry rather than counting the cost of not doing ministry. Maybe it's because we've allowed fear to to, to somehow navigate our way. Maybe it's because we're laughing at God and no longer taking Him at His word. Maybe it's because we're trying to do things in our own power and our own abilities. But for whatever reason, Ichabod written upon the doors of these churches. The church that we were married in became an Ichabod church. I can tell you the moment it happened when the deacons decided our church needed to be segregated. Friend, I've never turned on a vacuum that had such power to pull out air like I experienced that night sitting in that deacon's room. I knew our time at that church had come to an end. You can trace it back. I can see that old deacon with his white beard, him stroking it now, letting me know right quick I should not bring certain kids into his church. And all of the blessings and all of the power of God that had fallen upon that place in a short period of time was no more. I could take you to other churches that one after the other after the other Ichabod, the glory has departed. Number three, and I'm done. The promise, God says, I will. The problem, we say, we won't. (laughs) Number three, the provision. This is quick. 
the provision. I label this in spite of all. Number one, the land. There would be 40 years of wandering, but God still took care of His people. Yes, there would be a punishment. They would not step foot in the promised land. They would not enjoy the blessings of Canaan. But God still provided for their needs. He was merciful. He was gracious to them every day. I do not want to see God's blessings delayed. I want to know that God will be able to work through us and work in us and in our midst. We do not need to give Him permission to work, but He chooses to work when His people are obedient. His provision, the land, was delayed, but it was delivered. Number two, 13 years after Ishmael was born, 13 years after taking matters into their own hands, God still blessed Abram and Sarai with a son. Listen, God even told them to change their names so that the former would be just that, the former. Isaac would be born with a constant reminder. Isaac's name means literally laughter. Laughter. Every time they would call out Isaac, they would be reminded how they laughed at God. Every time they called him to the table and he ran up to eat, they'd be reminded of the laughter in the face of God. But Isaac was still born. Let me tell you, through his birth, began some begats. Did you get that? Through his birth began some begats. And one begat led to another begat until the holy begat came. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the son of Abraham. Jesus, the son of Almighty God. And thirdly, well, what about the church? There will always be a remnant. God always has a church that He's blessing. There's always a church waiting on the wings, I believe. When God chooses to, many times after His Spirit has been quenched, so many times when He chooses to relocate the place of His great work, there's always a place waiting. It's very, very seldom that I've ever heard of a church that experienced the glory of God for a long extended period of time. So many times, and you can trace it. I could give you a hundred illustrations right here and now. Tom could too. I'm sure others as well. You do find those situations. I think about Mud Creek in Hendersonville. I think about First Baptist Indian Trail. I think about some of those churches where the pastors at Central from this week been there a long, long time, and God's still a blessing. But so many times you see a church for a year or two years or three years. Some of you have been in those situations where God just poured out His blessing. People were getting saved. God was at work. I mean, heaven was coming down every week. And then something happened. And now you just look back and say, do you remember when? Do you remember when? Friend, I love you. And I'm going to just lay it right on the line. I believe we are at that crossroads right now it is not about you getting in my camp it is not about you being polarized it is simply about every one of us getting at the foot of the cross where the ground is level and realizing that God has made some promises that he intends to keep and that we would simply let go and let God have it all father I thank you
God for the unction to be able to preach this morning. What a blessing just to be able to open up your word.